You are listening to Share a Slice with Sean. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Share Slice with Sean. So on this episode, I'm happy to have back on the show Amish atheist Kenneth Kopp. And uh, yeah, so stay tuned and you'll get to learn what it's like being someone who lives Amish, but um, no longer believes in God. So that ought to be very interesting. I I know I had a very, very good chat with Kenneth um, this episode, and uh, I'm going to include a bonus episode too in the feed uh, from my old podcast called... um, my secret atheist podcast and that's back when i was sort of uh getting over religion so um it'll be a little more religion focused than this particular episode with kenneth um and so this will be a tube four that i'll be releasing probably in the next couple of days you'll hear the other episode as well um for now though i'd like to play a promo for the podcast semi-intellectual musings and i was on this podcast recently um my episode should be airing early soon i believe for now they're doing sort of a mini series on chronic illnesses and how people deal with those so uh, i have some experience with this myself um one of my kids actually does have a uh, respiratory problem so um this uh this is a uh, quite um quite illuminating for me at least. And so uh anyway, without further ado, let's listen to this promo from fellow Canadian podcast Semi-Intellectual Musings. Chronicity, a state of prolonged duration, recurrent, habitual, chronic. A new mini-series on chronic pain and illness by your friends Matt and Phil from Semi-Intellectual Musings. We go beyond medical diagnosis to explore the often forgotten political, social, and personal sides. You'll hear stories from extraordinary people overcoming extraordinary challenges. Authors, entrepreneurs, volunteers, coaches, and caregivers. They are so much more than their diagnoses, yet each have found ways to persevere. You'll also hear some familiar voices from the indie podcast community. Showing that art, creativity, and passion are possible while living in chronicity. These stories and more starting April 1st at thesim.podbean.com. So that was uh, Semi-Intellectual Musings. I highly recommend you check them out. They're amazing, amazing podcasts. There'll be a link in the show notes. And uh, now without further ado, let's learn what it's like to live Amish and also what it's like to be an Amish atheist as well with uh, Kenneth Kopp. He's uh, on Skype with me from Maine. Without further ado, let's jump right into that interview. So what what does Amish mean for some of our listeners that might might not be aware of that? Well, the Amish is a very uh, uh, strict... uh, uh, offshoot of the Protestant movement from the 1500s back in medieval Europe. Uh, they were first uh, uh, called Anabaptists, which means rebaptizers. They rejected the Roman Catholic State Church requirement of infant baptism, as well as uh, other um, traditions of the Catholic uh, hierarchy. And they were severely persecuted for that. And then later, as they obtained more freedom, hundred or so years later, they began to be called 
Mennonites by a, a bishop that was famous. His name was Menno Simons, that was a Catholic priest and defected to the Anabaptists. And then later there was an, a division amongst them by a bishop, Mennonite bishop, that was named uh, Jacob Amon. And that's where the Amish name comes from. And a lot of the, the descendants uh, migrated over here to, um, to the U.S. or the United States uh, due to the uh, more religious freedom especially in Pennsylvania with William Penn's experiment. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, they, they're, they're known for their um, refusal to accept all of the typical modern technologies and modern conveniences of the day, most notably uh, the, the automobile, electricity. Uh, they have accepted telephone to some degree and sometimes even electricity in some small areas, but they're largely known for their horse and buggy travel, their quaint and unusual ways of dressing, and their community uh, um, efforts to work together as a community, as a close-knit religious community. And they're extremely fundamental as far as their doctrine. They would be your, what I tend to joke, uh, saying they're the fundamentalists of the fundamentalists. So they would, they would like believe in a young earth six day creation that everything was created instantaneously by a super being or God, uh, man God is always a patriarchal system. So it's a man God, uh, in six 24 hour periods, uh, uh, six 24, sorry, six, six days, 24 hour periods. And then on the seventh day, God rested. Uh, and, uh, they, you know, they don't believe in, of course, evolution because of that. And anything that the Bible says, they, they, they like to hold to it in regards to, um, what they feel is clear teachings. And that's specifically with the new Testament. They, they do use the old Testament for examples, but if anything in the new Testament is different than the old Testament, then they generally go by the new Testament precepts. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, what they represent. And so, and, uh, and so you grew. I mean, you, but you didn't grow up Amish, though. So basically, no. I I was a convert. I started. I was raised <clears throat> very uh, in my very early years. My parents were Lutheran, but then they converted when I was about seven or eight into the Pentecostal movement, which, in a way, is a fundamentalist movement in and of itself. And that was sort of the seedbed or springboard for me to then later, through the influence of an older brother uh, who was already in the Mennonite sect, uh, to to draw me into it and get me started on that journey. So I actually joined with a, a Mennonite group, although I tend to call them Amish Mennonite because they, they had Amish roots. Uh, there's some Mennonites that are just purely raised Mennonites, and there's a slightly different culture. Uh, which most observers from the outside wouldn't even know the difference. But to us that are insiders for many years, we, there's a distinct difference. So I joined with these what I call Amish Mennonites. We had the modern conveniences of the car, the electric and telephone, but without the radio and television. And of course, in the 1980s, there was no Internet. So that wasn't an issue. But these people today, <clears throat> that same church would not accept <coughs> Internet. They might have computers in their businesses, but they won't have Internet because they fear the influence of worldly um, ideologies. Uh, the Amish, I uh, later uh, joined 
after I was in the Mennonite movement, probably for about 20 years. And then we joined with the Old Order Amish because I wanted to live a more sustainable lifestyle. I didn't really have to change my doctrine. The doctrine was basically the same. It was the lifestyle. The Amish more separated. And the particular Amish group we joined didn't use any internal combustion engines, which I was centering on that that aspect of, of lowering my use of fossil fuel um, um, devices uh, or contraptions. And that really, you know, like chainsaws we use instead, cross-cut saws. Uh, we used the horsepowers to run our shops and sawmills. Uh, everything was by hand or horsepower, um, and otherwise you didn't do it. Uh, so we were limited with what we could do. But we, uh, the, the, the Amish, of course, weren't coming at it from that angle. They were more looking at it from a separation from the world. Whereas while I did appreciate that separation stance, it was more for me an environmental an effort to be more environmentally um sustainable and and uh, supporting uh, a clean earth so that's why i moved my family into that and and i and i and there's some benefits of course too the, the more conservative they are the more closely knit and simply the horse and buggy lifestyle um creates that more close-knit bonding right. the communities are usually close together within a five mile radius uh, whereas the car mennonite churches They'll be scattered maybe in a 20 mile radius and you might not see your neighbor or your brother or sister in the church except on Sunday. Whereas when you're with the Amish or a similar old order group, you see your neighbors quite frequently and especially during farming like haying or or wintertime when you're putting away ice or those type of old fashioned activities. Everybody gets together and helps everybody or, you know, building a barn, building a house. Uh, just lots of different things. There's a lot of back and forth together, and there's a lot of benefits in that. And that's something that I that I miss. There's I a lot of there's a lot of community there, and I mean you, I mean you get that I guess to a certain extent with a lot of churches, like any kind of community like that. And I guess if you're kind of well, we'll get to that later. I mean the fact that uh, you uh, realize that you could no longer believe in the uh, in a, in a in a god basically mm -hmm. the existence of a god so you kind of got a bit you know ostracized obviously from the community they're they're not interested yeah. in being with someone who uh doesn't believe in god uh which, which is kind of a shame if you think about it because uh you you know if you think that if they thought their their faith was strong um they would uh you know they wouldn't need to ostracize you you, you know, they could just live with you and uh you would be utterly convinced by the the doctrine that they live or what have you but i guess i'm not understanding the general gist of the way these communities work can can you explain like i mean what what led you to finally as a as an i guess an eco christian i mean what led you to finally you know uh realize that uh this god thing was was not in fact uh, the case well, uh, it's a complicated story because any person that's a dedicated Christian as I was, uh, it doesn't just happen overnight. Uh, I was dedicated from a, a youth, even in the Pentecostal circles. And even at one point, one of the ministers there told my mother, she called my mother or he called my mother aside and put his hand on my shoulder. And he said, uh, sister, sister cop, 
Um, that's how we said brother and sister. She said, he said, Sister Cop, your son here is destined to be, uh, to have a special work for the Lord. And I think my mom thought probably I'd someday be a minister. <laughs> and I suppose I, I could have, had I been in a, you know, a certain setting where, you know, like the typical Protestant setting where someone decides they have a calling of God and then they go to seminary and become an ordained minister. But in the Mennonites and Amish, which I joined, they don't work that way. They, uh, they ordain ministers. They don't have any seminaries. They don't allow their people to have higher education or go to colleges. So they just ordain right from the laity. Uh, they'll they'll decide they need more ministers and they'll have special meetings to outline the requirements and qualifications of a minister and then they'll ordain from there. Uh, so I, that never fell on me, uh, but I often thought maybe it would, but never did. I'm really glad to this day that it didn't because that would have been a much more difficult situation to leave. However, for, for me, um, getting back to the real point, um, I, I like to say that the truth that led me into the Christian faith is the truth that also led me out. Right. Uh, I was always a seeker of truth and greater truth. And oh, about, uh, I don't know, five or more years, actually, probably eight years ago, I met a man uh, living in the community there where we lived in Missouri for some time who was not a Mennonite or Old Order uh type person. He was just a man of the world, but he was a friendly person. And and I'd met him through photography. He took our passport photos because we thought we might go and visit one of our settlements down in, in Central America. And uh, somehow we, we struck a friendship together and uh, we started talking. And he was the very first person I met that I learned was an atheist, an outright atheist. He, he didn't uh, go around blasting that or advertising that, but I was a, a typical soul winner. I wanted to uh, to help as many people as I could to come to Christ and to get to heaven instead of being cast into a lake of fire, uh, which is the way we were taught in the Pentecostal settings. And that kind of stuck with me all my life, even to that point. Uh, and he he told me different times that he he appreciated me and my family and, and that probably it wouldn't be best that he talk much with me about this, because uh, if I would somehow get to thinking the way he does, it would be a lot of trouble for me. But I felt like I had God on my side and that there was nothing to fear. So we began debating. And because I wanted to be fair with him, I felt like I had to consider his point of view and not just brush it aside and me thinking of a rebuttal as he was answering my my questions or challenging me. <clears throat> uh, and so what happened was I began to see some cracks in the in the uh, in the uh, whole system. Uh, I had did did have some discouraging experiences there with the old order Mennonites. Uh, some hypocrisy was uh, there and it, it was it was a bit demoralizing. So it, it did shake me up, which sometimes it takes that. And I began reevaluating the very core of my faith. When I moved to the Amish community here in Maine, uh, then I met different individuals amongst them that were uh, practicing a form of critical thinking skills, which I had never really honed into in, in my life. I was always taught never to question the Bible, that God's ways and thoughts are higher than our ways. And if we don't understand it, he'll make it all clear and plain once we get to heaven. <clears throat> but I learned some critical thinking skills once I came here on, you know, just natural other other matters or subjects. 
And I started applying that to my own uh, faith from the very basis and core. And once I started, I couldn't stop. I started reading the Bible from the, from the beginning in an objective way. And I had read the Bible many times through in the past, but this time I read it as though I was looking into it from the outside, as though I'd never seen it before. And that's when everything just started falling apart, especially by that time I was beginning to open up to more ethical thoughts and teachings of our modern times. And uh, I just began to see so many things wrong, not only uh, uh, technical errors in, in numbers and the numbers of how many, like how many stalls of horses King Solomon had, which was like 10,000. In another uh, book, it said it was uh, 100,000, the same account. That was obviously a, a, an error of the scribes and putting too many zeros at one point. But and, and, and we were taught that God's word was, the whole Bible was inspired by God. Every word was inspired. And so we, we didn't allow ourselves to, to doubt anything. We just thought we just didn't understand. We, we couldn't bring our minds to that. Uh, but I began to see it's obviously an error. And then there were other problems that were much more um, much more serious that were moral issues, such as slavery. Um, uh, the, 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 in Leviticus 25, it says that uh, while the Israelites were to be kind to their own brethren, if they were indebted to them, uh, they were allowed to own slaves, buy and sell slaves from other nations, and they could pass them on to their children as inheritance, and they shall be their slaves forever. Uh, when I when I began seeing those passages, it, it just astounded me why I hadn't seen them before. And then the misogynistic uh, attitudes throughout the Old Testament and even the New Testament toward women. Uh, women were treated as property or um, not nearly worth the price of a son. Um, giving birth to a, a female child, uh, the woman was twice as long unclean after that as she was with a male child. And so many other horrendous practices. And then there was a genocide. And you think of the wonderful story we were taught of Jericho and the walls of Jericho falling down. But in actuality, those Israelite soldiers had to go in the city and, and destroy everything. I mean, everything that had breath. I mean, men, women, children, infants, old people. And at one point, I told my family, which would, be, would have been considered rather sacrilegious, uh, in, in, in the Mennonite setting or Amish setting. I told them I don't think I could do that. I mean, I just imagine myself with a sword in hand doing all that cutting and killing. Even though the Amish are pacifistic, they, they tend to believe or teach that if we had lived in the Old Testament times, we would have been faithful to God and done whatever God had bidded us to do. We, if we'd have been in, in Joshua's army, we would have done just that. We would have gone through and slaughtered everything that had breath. And I just I could no longer buy it. I just couldn't couldn't see it anymore. And then I ran across the, the the argument about evolution. And that's where I thought, surely I could convince my friend that there was a God because of the mastermind of design that we see or we think seem to see in in the uh, world around us, in the trees, the flowers, you know, the all the many intricate designs of nature. And that's when he began to open my mind to my my upside down understanding of, of biology. I never had really good, even though I was raised and went through public school, I don't remember so much being um, taught a proper concept of evolution. It yeah. almost seemed like, I don't know why, because I was in public school and, I, and I'm puzzled to this day. I just can't, can't bring it to mind 
what we had about that in science. I think it was very poor if we did. So that's, I think, why in, in, in the country here in the U.S., at least, I think it's about close to 50 percent of the population still believes that that we are we are created basically the way uh, God supposedly did it on the day of creation. Nothing has changed. They don't believe in evolution, in other words. And that's a sad, sad state of affairs uh, when we realize that uh, evolutionary biology is the foundation of all the science that we use today in so many parts of medicine and and um, even psychology. Uh, it, it's very integral and important to understand those concepts so we can understand who we are and, and how things work. I mean, what what do you think? Um, like when when I hear about this, it sounds like you you are kind of naturally inquisitive and. I mean, I guess you had exposure with your public school, although, as you say, evolution wasn't really taught, and, and you're not the only one. A lot of schools, I think, just skate over that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But um, I'm just wondering, like, um, uh, I mean, the vast majority of people in those communities, I mean, are they just not asking those questions? Are they not looking outward at all? Or are they not... Uh, curious or questioning? I mean, do you, do you know of many people who are maybe secretly skeptical about the whole situation and they're just keeping their mouth shut? I mean, how can you live in such a community and, and I guess, have it so insular? You know what I mean? Well, you know, they only teach eight grades of school in the mm. Amish and conservative Mennonite circles. They don't have any higher education. They don't allow high school. They don't allow college. And the curriculum that they use is all um, uh, printed by Mennonite publishing houses of conservative stamp. So every, everything is creationist oriented as far as that part. And then even history is sort of skewered to the Anabaptist viewpoint. So it, it's really a, a bubble-like effect that these people are in. And I suppose there are some that begin to question uh, but it's and, and, and there are some that I've met since I've come out myself as an atheist that that have also questioned and couldn't take it and left. Uh, I, I think uh, a lot of us uh, just simply it's in our DNA or evolutionary uh, uh, de uh, design or mindset to we tend to want to uh, believe in a God or or in something because it it's uh, well, there's a book. Uh, there's a book out by a man by the name of um, Wathi, Dr. Wathi. I can't remember his first name, but he's titled um, the, the Illusion of the Presence of God. And it's a very strong illusion that our infantile brains have. That's his theory. We have an infantile brain. As an infant, we, we think that we feel the presence of our parents, our mother especially. And even when she's not in the same room, we sort of sense her presence and, and of course, she cries and is an infant. But as we get older, we usually outgrow that infantile uh, uh, mentality unless we come into a very dire situation you know, that, that's taxing us, maybe threatening our life or we're coming to our very end. <clears throat> then we tend to revert to that infantile um, concept and it just overpowers us. And that's where people get these they get this feeling of a, of a sense of presence of some superpower or being they might even hear voices and this is often the basis of people you know coming into a conversion experience uh, to to some sort of religion often christian 
Yeah, it's interesting how it's often the religion, the, the predominant religion of the area that people fall into, isn't it? Um, I guess let's move a little on. I mean, uh, I mean, it's, I guess it's just a, basically a given that, um, once you came out as atheist, um, uh, vast majority, if not all the community really didn't want to have anything to do with you. So, but that didn't mean that you gave up being Amish. I mean, you're, you're still living in, you know, in the country. I take it, you have your own horses, your, mm -hmm. your machinery is limited. I mean, explain to me a little bit how you're living. I mean, uh, uh, do you have, I mean, obviously you have electricity cause you're on an iMac talking to me yeah. right now. Right. Well, um, <clears throat> okay. So when I lost my faith in a, in a, uh, the existence of a superpower or super being or the, or the validity of the Bible as anything holy, <clears throat> I still had the basis of, of, of the culture of the close knit community and the, the skills that I learned, uh, like I learned how to use a horse. I learned how to shoe my horses. I learned how to drive a horse and buggy. I learned how to farm with horses, plowing in the field, disking. And it was all something that I enjoyed and appreciated and really had no desire to leave. It was the, it was the intellectual brain part that I could no longer connect with. I couldn't believe in a, a, a petty God that, that, that has a man executed because he picked up sticks on the sabbath day or all sorts of horrible other things that happen I, I couldn't ascribe to to the human sacrifice and horrible things genocide that we read but i still could appreciate the culture of the amish and so as far as the amish are concerned i'm i'm a total heretic I, i'm 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 someone that they don't want to talk to very much because they're afraid that i might poison their minds uh in, in, against their own faith and that to them is critical because they they believe that if you don't um, believe this faith, you're going to end up in, in hellfire. Uh, but for me, it was it was no longer an issue. But so I, a lot of people that leave the Amish just throw everything out, and then they go on the fast track of society. They buy cars, get rid of their horse and buggy. They dress like this uh, man on the street or person on the street, I should say. Uh, but for me, it, it's sort of like. You know, when you join the army and, and you get out, there's still a lot of good usable stuff, especially the clothing is made so well. And I wouldn't agree with for, for the women's dress because it's so restrictive. I mean, women have to wear dresses and little you know coverings in their head and mm. bonnets. That's quite restrictive. But for the man, it's it's very, very practical. Um, the the clothing is loose. Uh, it's good for farming. Uh, it's I, I wear a type of pants is called broadfall pants and they're just very very comfortable and they have special deep front pockets and side pockets for pliers and it's just just uh, such a practical uh, uh method that i i didn't care what others thought i was going to wear it anyhow uh the, the one difference i have is that i allowed my hair to grow out so i actually have a ponytail <laughs> uh you can't you can't see it uh here but um uh, uh, and that's due to my, my feeling that, um, well, there's a scripture in, in our verse in the Bible, New Testament, where the apostle Paul says, it's a shame for man to have long hair. And even when I had short hair, I wondered, how did he come to that conclusion? How would a man be ashamed for man to have long hair? I suppose apostle Paul thought that it would make a man look like a woman, but I've never had anybody second guess me as a woman. 
What about I mean, Samson I, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, there was different people that had these, uh, what they called a Nazarite vow, and they were not to cut their hair or to drink any uh, fermented drink. So, and, and we know from history, we look in the revolutionary times or the 1700s, it was very common for men to have ponytails of some, some length. So this very, very short haircut that some Mennonite circles had never really appealed to me. And I actually was sort of uh, attracted to the more hippie way of, of letting things, you know, be more natural, all natural. And so that's one thing I differed. And so I, I'm the funny looking guy with with uh, Amish attire and even straw hat. But if you see me from the backside, you'll see a ponytail, uh, you know, trailing down my backside. <laughs> so and, and, and of course, I don't I don't have any I can do anything I want to. I'm not restricted by rules. And so one of the things that I do enjoy is technology because I learned so much once I tapped into the Internet. I mean, it speeded up my deconversion experience exponentially once I tapped into the Internet and it was able to uh, find so many sources and information. And, and of course, is my connection to other free thinkers and free thought societies in ways that I could never, never do otherwise. Uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts uh, like uh, Freedom from Religion Foundation, which is pretty big in the U.S., and a number of others, the Atheist Experience from Austin, Texas, um, the Thinking Atheist from Tulsa, Oklahoma. All these are just wonderful, you know, uh, inspirational uh, podcasts that help us to look on the bright side of life and realize that even though we don't believe in life after death, we have a lot of things to live for. Uh, we have life itself brings us purpose and brings us joy. And uh, that is that in itself is is very encouraging. So I, I, I definitely tap into that. And I've learned to enjoy arts like music. Uh, I, I can go to a uh, opera. I can go to a, uh, an orchestra. I can go to a movie. Um, I I don't go go out and party wild. Uh, I I do occasionally drink a good beer. Uh, I don't smoke because to me that's just a bad habit that's detrimental to your health. But uh, I've heard some varying opinions on occasional beer drinking is actually healthy for you. Uh, even the Bible itself said, uh, the, the apostle Paul said to his, his, his under, um, minister Timothy, he said, drink a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities, which I think for a lot of the Mennonites who are teetotalers, that was a real thorn in the flesh for them. That, that particular scripture, they didn't hardly know what to do with that scripture because it was right in the new Testament. So apparently Paul thought that a little bit of wine once in a while was actually good for your health. So yeah. that's kind of where I, where I, I actually avoid, I'm more of a health minded person. So I, I avoid eating the typical junk food. I, I almost never go to a fast food restaurant. I like to buy uh, organic food because I know some people in the free thought society think that's just uh, woo stuff. But I, I really think being a, being a farmer for so many years and being on the forefront of sprays and pesticides, I mean, sometimes when we grew up protos, we, we sprayed re restricted pesticides to get our crops. And I can just say that we were on the uh, front lines of the battle and, and, and we were exposed to a lot of chemicals that I think was not good for us. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like organic has its purpose. And Rachel Carson didn't write the book Silent Spring for, for just for just fun. She was very serious and concerned and 
that's that's it was a springboard for the well actually the beginning of the uh, EPA here in the U.S., which of course may have been uh, kind of watered down till now, but still the very beginning of that was through someone that was concerned about the toxic chemicals that we that we were exposing ourselves to. Uh, so I, I don't get it why in the free thought society there's such a pushback that I've heard uh, against organic uh, um, uh, produce and, and growing uh, things in that way. I realize it's more difficult, but I think there's it's it's much better for us. So that's kind of my my lifestyle to live healthy and enjoy life, to dabble my or dip my toes in a few fun things. Uh, and yet uh, also live as, as sustainable as possible, because I happen to believe in human-caused climate change. I believe that our activity as human beings, a human species, has, has brought the, 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 the problems that we're seeing today and, and may end up in catastrophic problems in, in the future years. And so it's our duty to take care. I, I see the biggest problem is that there's, there's too much of, too many of us, uh, uh, too, too great a population, and somehow we need to I'm very strong. I'm a very strong feminist. I believe women should be empowered to make their own choices as far as their fertility and as far as, um, you know, reproduction. They, they should be able to have birth control and, and make those decisions. And too many times in so many third world countries or even first world countries, the women are driven by religion to think uh, that they should be submissive to their husbands and have as many biological children as they possibly can. This is a very grave mistake, I feel, in our time. Uh, and uh, I, I think we just need to address the problem somehow as best we can. Uh, it's not going to be easy, but uh, we can we can we can develop certain technologies like uh, more sustainable transportation through electric vehicles, which is all great. And I'm looking forward to the time I can have one myself. But but still, we can only s- sustain so much life on this planet. And if we don't change the direction we're heading, it's it's I'm afraid for the future generations. And you, and you, um, I mean, you're at the forefront because you're, I mean, you're involved with growing food yourself. So if anything, you're, you're probably going to see the effects. I mean, you can, and, and what's, what's sad too, is that you can eat, um, organic. And I think that a lot of people in the, in the free thought community, maybe they, they might also confound genetically modified with organic too. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can grow your food without pesticides, um, and that's not really related to genetically modified. Those, I think, those no. are two different vectors, right? But it, it is, yeah. And and I mean, I think that um, it, it's interesting because you got into like this is one of the major reasons you actually got into you know the uh, that community to begin with was this sort of idea of like with a low having a low uh, carbon footprint. Yes. And uh, I mean, uh, I, I, I totally agree with the, uh, with the technology thing. Do you, I mean, do you drive? How, how are you getting to the opera and to fast food joints? <laughs> well, I don't go to fast food joints. Uh, if you remember, I said I don't, yeah. I don't do that. But, but I will go to the movies sometimes and, and other events, or we'll go off into the Western mountains of Maine and go hiking or to Acadia National Park. We do a little traveling. I, I conceded... I, I had hoped when I joined with the Amish some 15 or actually close to 20 years ago now uh, that I would never drive an automobile again. But once I left the Amish and no longer really had the connection with with non-Amish drivers, that see the Amish still 
travel around by vehicle some when it's outside of their buggy distance they'll hire a driver and take to take them somewhere someone that's not amish that drives a car or van and uh so once i realized i was not part of the circle any longer i wasn't really interested to, to be hiring people when i knew i could legally go out and get my own license and so i got my license it was really a surreal experience to be driving this machine after not for 15 plus years I, I felt very afraid at first, even though I had driven many years previous to that. But it was just a a, 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 a culture shock to me once again. I, I finally did get used to it, but for many for many uh, months, I was just uh, a nervous wreck driving the highway, especially on an interstate. The high speeds just totally totally uh, freaked me out, uh, or not totally freaked me out, or I couldn't have driven. But it was it was I was very tense. Uh, but I've gotten used to it, and I did, I did purchase one vehicle. And my, my goal is in trying to maintain my my stance on sustainable living and uh, a, a low carbon footprint is to uh, use the automobile for distances that I couldn't that I would normally have to hire a driver for, uh, and and to drive locally with my horse and buggy as much mm-hmm. as possible, uh, sort of mimicking the Amish. Except that I like to joke that when I need to hire a driver, I just hire myself. Yeah, and 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 I mean uh, around the house, uh, are do, I mean, do you have solar panels, or are you like somewhat off the grid? Uh, how is that working out? Well, I used to be off the grid, but then I I built a new addition and a new shop, and I I wanted to be continue to be off the grid, but I was advised by various solar installing companies that I should just get on the grid to start with and see how much solar I was using or power I was using to then uh, size my solar array that I would need to be off the grid. In the process of the of the investment of the new shop, I it was just, I, I, when I finally caved into that, I it was much more economical for me to just be on the grid. And I, but I am, I am uh, working toward being off the grid. We do have a 4.6 kilowatt solar array at this time we're grid tied uh but the state of maine is is very archaic and they're they're trying to fight against solar production in every way they can these the power companies even uh, seeking to get laws passed to charge us for the solar production that we produce putting in more meters to to measure what we're putting out and charging us for not even giving us any benefit no credits whatsoever so it's very upsetting uh, and I'd like to pull out and be off the grid just simply for that alone as a protest. Uh, but I also feel especially for the um, for the uh, for the, the environment to to stay off from the grid and not be participating in any power that comes from like coal power or nuclear yeah. power plants, which I feel are dangerous. And uh, I also uh, invested in a horse treadmill which I'll put two of my large workhorses. I, ha- I I farm with horses. I don't have a tractor. So the only v- thing I have is really modern is the, the little automobile that I have for distance driving. Uh, but in farming, I use my horses uh, for plowing, uh, making hay, and and putting away ice and those type of things, just like I always did uh, when I was with the Amish. And, and so I, I bought this treadmill, and the idea behind that is to um, hook up a generator which will also produce some of the electricity I use. And, and in time, I want to get a, a battery system, possibly one of these um, new, new types with uh, lithium-ion batteries, 
Some of them are called Tesla walls. Uh, those are quite expensive at this moment, so I don't sure if I can afford it. But once the price gets better, I, I'd like to invest in that and, and then completely cut off my, myself from the grid once again. And that, that's my goal. That That's fascinating. I read about the Tesla walls. And uh, I mean, we're considering putting uh, panels up too. And uh, it, it's just amazing because that, that I mean, I the big uh, coal-burning plants, I mean, they're, they must see the writing on the wall with that. And they're really fighting tooth and nail. I, I mean... Uh, I was shocked to learn, I think I saw something on the internet where they were talking about uh, how if all the humans disappeared on the planet, that uh, the power would only stay on for maybe maximum a few hours, and then the power would go off because <clears throat> we're, they're shoveling coal into these, these furnaces constantly. Oh, and if you think about yeah. the amount of pollution that's spewing out into the atmosphere, it's it's just yeah. really unsettling over decades and decades, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. terrible. It's if I were a, conspirat a conspiratory guy, I'd almost think that uh, you know, yeah, uh, extraterrestrials were hiring them to terraform yeah. the planet or something to be something else because yeah. it's the most efficient yeah. way to do it uh to start yeah. changing the environment. So yeah. It's pretty when we sad. Lived, yeah, when we lived in Missouri, we had a guy that would do custom welding for us because we didn't have electric to weld. And he worked for the, uh, his main job was working for Kansas City Light and Power up in Kansas City area. And he would describe to us how that they had a big machine that would pick up a whole, a whole train car full of coal and just dump the, take it right off the tracks. I'm not sure how it did it. And it would dump the whole train car load into a giant hopper. And I think they dumped... I, I don't want to exaggerate, but I almost think it was a carload a minute. I'm not sure. Maybe every 15 minutes, but it was a very fast turnover. They were just carload after carload. And, you know, that carries a lot of each train carload carries. I don't know how many tons of coal. And that was just to keep the whole general uh, metropolis of Kansas City and the surrounding suburbs in power. And And I mean, I don't know if people... I think that it's almost hidden. I don't think people realize just how much coal is being burnt uh, mm. per minute across the U.S. and the Canada and the world. It, it's just mm. maybe if people realized the, just the sheer amount, because, you know, numbers don't mean anything, right? No one, <laughs> but if you tell someone that, you know, I don't know, uh, 1,200 coal car loads are, are burnt every 15 minutes across the U.S. 24-7. I mean, because mm -hmm. a lot of these plants need to keep going all the time. You can't just turn yes. them off. They just keep going. No, you can't. And so the energy just goes nowhere, basically, in the evening a lot of the time. Right. Yeah. That's where, that's where I feel the, the vision of, of, of Elon Musk and creating uh, space, not SpaceX, but uh, solar city and creating renewables energies like well well like through the sun and then through the the power packs and tesla power walls uh, is, a, is a great ingenious idea to store the energy we collect from the sun during the day and then use it at night and keep yourself off the grid or at least uh, trim i think it's called uh, uh, shaving off the top of your electrical use from the grid uh, it, it, it's a com very complicated problem, but my my concept or, or philosophy is that I need to live as radically as I possibly can, because I think 
in the future years, the generations that come after us will look at us and judge us by how much we, who had the knowledge of what we were doing to the planet, how much we were willing to sacrifice to save the planet. And I fear that what I'm even doing myself will look look like child's play compared to what perhaps future generations may have to endure just to, mm. to be able to survive. I mean, I don't. I, I hate to paint a black picture or dark picture like that, but I am very concerned. And I, I, I fear that, uh, especially under the present administration we have here in the U.S., that they're just they're, they can't see the trees for the woods. And they don't want to see it because they just want everything to continue uh, hunky-dory like it always has. And they will not listen to reason. So that's my goal is to live as radically as I possibly can. I know not everybody can drive a horse and buggy. In fact, it wouldn't even be feasible for everybody to try doing that. Uh, there's just too many of us to do that. But I'm, I have the privilege and I have the super uh, infrastructure here to, to continue this. And uh, that's why I, I do what I do. So uh, where, where are you going from here? I mean, uh, do you have any like uh, plans or projects you're working on? I'm assuming you're probably working on, uh, I don't know much about agriculture, but it's spring. So I'm assuming it's busy time for you right now with the crops. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's going on now and what do you got cooking for the future? Well, I'm actually not a full-fledged farmer, but it seems sometimes like I am because I have a small farm here and I've got my horses to care for. I've got crops like my hay crop is my main crop. Uh, my main source of income is supposed to be furniture making, which is what I've been doing for the last 35 years. I'm a fine furniture maker. Uh, I even have a website. That's where I, I get high tech. I have a website for my business. Uh, and uh, uh, I just struggle from day to day uh, trying to make ends meet. My, my, I lost my family through the through the whole uh, episode of leaving the faith. Uh, they they couldn't handle my my apostasy and they 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 practices shunning against me. And finally, my wife and I separated and the children moved away. And uh, so I, I'm struggling here alone as a farmer. I I and and a furniture maker combination. I I wish I could find some magic bullets or some way that I could have enough funds to just uh, not have to work so hard. I, it's good for my health. I mean, I, I work very hard physically. I don't need to visit any gym, that's for sure. Uh, and I stay strong. I'm nearly 58 now, and I, I probably uh, can outdo a number of, of my own peers because of my my strenuous work and labor uh, that keeps me fit. Uh, uh, but, but, but as I get older, it, it, it's, it's getting sort of wearisome. I don't know what the future holds for me here. I, I've been trying to get my, my, my book written that would, uh, that would tell my story. And I, I don't know if that will be any help to me financially or not. If people are interested to buy it, I've been told never to, you know, think you're going to, um, find any, any, uh, any, um, um, instant you know. fame, I guess. Yeah, instant fame from from one of your first books. So you know, unless I got really lucky, uh, and 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 it hits the you know heartstrings of a lot of readers in the country, I mm. I, I rather doubt that that that's going to be my answer. Uh, but you never know. Um, it's it's difficult finding time to finish the book. I actually got the manuscript written, but I now realize I need to make it more interesting 
and and uh, add more uh, dialogue in it. I, I have been working with a a editor who's helping me pro bono because she knows of my my financial uh, situation. Uh, <clears throat> so it, it, it's it's a sacrifice. Um, it's it's not an easy life, and and others would have would be more situated financially better than I am that could that could do this better, but. That's where I really miss the community. Uh, I think you know having help, having a family, uh, would would make a difference. And but but I, I have not been able to figure out how to return to that because there's no way without, as I've joked, without having a lobotomy that I could ever go back to 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 uh, to thinking the way I used to. Because you know once you know something is not right, once you realize that slavery is wrong, I mean. If if anybody's read the the classic Uncle Tom's Cabin or right. seen current movie uh, a couple of years ago, a movie came out called Twelve Years a Slave, uh, which is a fantastic uh, portrayal of the slavery here in the U.S. in eighteen hundreds. Um, uh, we know that we could never go back to sanctioning that, and and for me, it's just it's a it's a um, I just couldn't accept uh, in my mind uh, a God that. That claims to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who who wrote, you know, inspired the Old Testament, and could not inspire the people or teach the people that slavery was wrong. You know, he could have easily said in the Ten Commandments, "Thou shalt not not own thy fellow human beings," just as well as he said, "Thou shalt not have any other gods before thee." Uh, Jesus could have said in the New Testament in the Sermon on the Mount, where he changed some of the Old Testament laws. He changed the one about the eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He said. Rather to resist not evil and turn the other sheep. He could have also said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Ye may own slaves of other nations, but I say unto you, own no slaves at all. But he didn't say that. And that was because the, those books are not inspired by some supernatural being who knew the future, who knew that there would be a bloody civil war uh, and hundreds of thousands of lives lost over the issue of slavery, among many things, but that was the biggest issue. Uh, he could have he could have informed and and his his people many thousands of years before, and it wouldn't have been an issue, at least for those who believed in him. If he was the true God, if this was the true moral thing to do to not own slaves, then his people, maybe the other nations around would have kept slaves, but his own people would have been known that they don't do that. Yeah. But instead, it's right in the Bible uh, approving slavery. Even the New Testament approves slavery by by giving it a nod of, of concession where it talks about slaves should be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things. That's in Titus chapter two in the New Testament. Um, so that's where I just can't, I can't go back to that. There's just no way. Uh, and so there's no possible way that I can see a solution to, to my family. But, but I take heart in realizing that I, this is, this is a common human experience. Uh, there's people that leave the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses or other, you know, the, the people that leave Islam. Uh, sometimes they never see their family again at all because they may, if they go back to their country, they might, they might be killed. Uh, so I'm grateful. I see my family from time to time. There's, there's not much visiting. Uh, but at least I see them from occasionally. I do have a daughter that's married to an Amish man here in the community, and she has a couple boys, and I get to see my grandsons from time to time. Uh, and I'm grateful for that much. That That's uh, fantastic. I mean, it could be much, I don't mean to trivialize it, but it could be worse, I suppose. Uh, I actually, dur during high school, I actually knew uh, a girl, might have been university actually, 
I, I knew a girl who was Mennonite. She grew up Mennonite um, in Saskatchewan, Canada. And uh, there, if memory serves, they have some sort of um, process where uh, she turns 15 or something along those lines, and she and they kind of let them go. They like they they let them sort of uh, explore the the world for some time, uh, and then after that, she's kind of expected to realize that the outside's not for her, and mm -hmm. that she wants to commit to the to be part of the Mennonite community for the for basically for the rest of her days. Well, uh, that didn't work out for her. She decided oh, yeah. that uh, she wasn't interested in staying in the Mennonites at all, and that she would rather stay on the outside. And uh, that, that was it. Basically, there was no communication with her family at all at that point. That's very sad. sad. Yeah, you know it is. Yeah, it's often a it's often a uh, um, protection that they or a wall that they put up because, especially if she was one of the older children, to protect the younger siblings from mm. from infected by her uh, her her ideas. Worldly, yeah, yeah worldly viewpoint. <sighs> It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's quite sad. She wasn't doing badly at all. Uh, but you know, it was, a, it was really, you know, obviously that carries a scar for the rest of her life, you know? Yeah. Uh, do yeah. you, do you have any, um, do you have any message for, um, I guess people who are, uh, I guess they're never going to hear you, but yeah, if you have any message for, for anybody in the Amish community who happened by some bizarre circumstance to hear this recording hmm. anybody deep well, in i feel sometimes like i've heard of uh, interviews with folks that have come out of other uh, religious cults uh if they could and if i could i would share with my family that that uh, uh there is a better life outside of religion um there is uh, a lot of exciting things to learn the world is a big place um, science is, is a beautiful thing when it's done properly, uh, and life is worth living. I mean, for the most of us and to be, to be in a, a world without the superstitious belief of gods and demons and spirits and ghosts is much more to me, much more, uh, liberating and, uh, and I feel much more contented and at peace. I mean, there's different people that come out of religions that, definitely do not believe in hell, but they still have nightmares at night over that. I don't, thankfully, uh, even though I was taught fire and brimstone. But it's 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 a much more uh, sane world out there when you lay aside your superstitious beliefs and latch on to reason and kindness. I feel much more at, at peace with my fellow human species and not being judgmental towards others of different orientations uh, and 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 also uh, equality throughout it, it, it and and how we're all interconnected with all of nature is is endlessly fascinating to me uh, at this time. So I say, you know, if you can if you can be free, go for it. Wonderful. Yes, I I totally agree. Uh, listen, Kenneth, thanks so, so much for being on the show and uh, sharing a little about your story and uh, your life. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
Well, that's about it for this episode. I just want to thank Kenneth for being on the show a second time. And I want to remind you that I will be releasing an old episode of a previous podcast that I did called My Secret Atheist Podcast. It'll be on this feed with, you know, the usual promo and outro so people don't get too confused. Uh, you'll get to listen to um, some of the same stuff with Kenneth, but uh, also some different stuff as well. He goes a little more into his deconversion, I think, in the previous episode, because it was an episode specifically about atheism on an atheist podcast. Um, I'd like to recommend you all go to Kenneth's uh, woodworking website. It's locustgrovewoodworks.com. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes. And there you get to see some amazing furniture work that uh, Kenneth does. Um, really fantastic stuff. If I were, you know, nearer to Maine, I'd pop down there and, and definitely grab some stuff because it looks like it's really going to last, or like generations, basically. Um, again, I'd like to thank uh, Semi-Intellectual Musings for, uh, you know, providing the promo and also uh, letting me be on their podcast. You'll get to hear that. Um Soon, I think they'll be releasing it, so I'll let you know when that's out and provide a show uh, link to that as well. Um, we have some sort of sister podcasts. One of them is called Time for the Show. That's over at freethinkradio.com. Uh, the show is mostly a bunch of sub-geniuses. I'm a sub-genius myself, full disclosure. It's kind of an interesting uh, religion. Uh, we follow J.R. Bob Dobbs, the Slackmaster, and uh, I recommend you uh, check that out. Um, show's been getting better and better over there. So give them a listen over at freethinkradio.com. Uh, I'll give you a full disclosure. It's not anything like this podcast. It's more sort of a, a fun free-for-all, I guess would be the right word. A bunch of weirdos on the radio. Maybe that's a better description. Um, as always, I'd like to thank the Fantastic Plastics for providing the intro and the outro themes for this uh, episode and uh, i'd like to encourage you to go check out their uh, bandcamp page uh, there's a link in the show notes for that as well and uh, as i said before um, i'll be releasing that episode the follow-up episode to this one uh, the old episode from two years ago um, on this feed in a couple of days so check that out as well so as always thanks so so much for listening Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. Please, if you can, leave some sort of review or um, some sort of rating over on Apple uh, Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts or send an email. Just let me know that you're listening to the show. It really does help keep me going over here. Otherwise, I, you know, I just fall into the silence and into the void so uh, if you could do that, that would be fantastic. It would help the show a lot. So thanks so, so much for listening, guys. And uh, hope we'll be back next time. What the hell do you think you're doing? Dragging your butt through the day, selling body and soul to a bunch of bland normals? Acting stupid so they'll think you're one of them? Tired of getting all of the guilt? But none of the sex? There is a simple answer, dear friend. A glowing beacon of slack amidst the turmoil and darkness. It's J.R. Bob Dobbs, the living slack master in his church of the subgenius. Bob brings us...
a new destiny for the abnormal. For Bob comes to justify our sins, to unmask the conspiracy, and to get us back the slack they stole away. It's us versus them. Are you gonna fry in hell on earth alongside the pink boys? Or will you pull the wool over your own eyes and accept Bob into your mind? Repent, quit your job, slack off, and praise Bob! Church of the Sub-Genius Eternal Salvation or triple your money back.